All right. How's everybody doing? Is everybody ready? Everybody sitting down? I can tell Miss Bessie's ready. Completely unrelated to the message. If you ever have to speak somewhere, try to see if Miss Bessie can make it. Because you will assuredly have one fan in the crowd, always. That's right. She don't, she don't do it for heresy. Or she might still say something that just might be a little different. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you for this night. God, we thank you for this opportunity, God, for this privilege, God, to go through your word, Father. God, and I pray, Father, that it would just speak to us, Father, that it would bring us to a place that allow us to be honest with ourselves, and God, that it would allow us to be in a position, Father, to see who you are and to see that you are sovereign in our life. God, thank you for this time. God, speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how's everybody's week going? This is like a warm front we got here, right? It's only in the 40s. It's like shirts and shorts weather. My kids get up in the morning for school, and that's exactly what they do. They put on shorts, and I'm like, it's 40 degrees outside. They're like, well, it's, it's a lot warmer than it was two weeks ago. I'm like, well, okay. I don't know. We must have just not had good heaters when I was in school. That's all I can say. All right, so who knows where we are? Where, where, where are we studying? Anybody remember from last week? Been a while. Can always count on Chuck. Can always count on Chuck. He loves, he loves John. I remember when we announced that he cheered. You remember that church? He cheered for it. He's the second person I'd call if I needed a fan in the, in the audience somewhere. So we're going to go through uh, chapter 6, and we're going to look at, actually, it's 16 through 21. Uh, it's a famous section of Scripture where Jesus walks on water. Uh, but I am going to cheat back one verse into verse 15 to kind of lay some things out here. Um, but it is that story of Jesus walking on water, right? Anybody here not heard of the story of Jesus walking on water? You don't have to raise your hand. Uh, so obviously it's one that's well known, but it, it, it's short. And it's, it's mentioned in three different Gospels, uh, John being the last one here. But I want to give you a little bit of, little bit of background before we get into it. So have Chuck throw us up a picture here. There we go. Good old Google Earth. So this is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this is where this took place. Um, if you can note it, look, we're going to show a, uh, a blown up version of the top version, but that's the whole uh, sea as itself. Do the next one there, Chuck. All right, so that's the northern section. Um, and the Sea of Galilee is actually not very big. It's fed in there by the River Jordan on the north side. And Jesus, what did he do? What did we learn about last week? What did he do previously to this? What miracle did he perform? Feeding of the 5,000, right? So that happened near Bethsaida, okay? When they finished up there, the idea was for them to travel via boat to Capernaum. Um, so this is the area that we're talking about here. It's not actually the majority of the trip would have been along the shoreline. Uh, it's only actually about three miles, three or four miles of distance. It's not actually very far at all. But that's where we leave from, the, from previously. We were at the feeding of the 5,000. 
Jesus dismisses his disciples. He goes off into the mountain to pray because the people are uh, pursuing him, and he sends his disciples on his way. So that's where we're going to start here in verse, in verse 15, going back one verse, and it says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea becomes rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him to the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So that's the whole section there. But the first part there in verse 15, he said, perceiving that they were about to come and take him. Now, when we look at it in, um, he actually, it's mentioned, like I said, previously in two other books, in uh, the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Mark. And the slight difference is there in Matthew, um, you can show it up there, Chuck. We won't read all the way through it. Go down to the next section. What's different in Matthew is he mentions the, the part about Peter getting out of the boat and where he starts heading towards Jesus and obviously he loses faith and he sinks and then he saves him. When we go and look at it in Mark, Mark is a very similar um, account of, of how John does it here. It's a, it's a little bit shorter, a little bit quicker. Um, if you know any, if you've studied anything about Mark, that kind of was his personality. He was kind of to the point. Um, get it in there, get it done, get the facts over, and move on. And then when we go to John, where we are here, John's whole idea, and we're going to go through this a little more in the gospel, was to, was to proclaim Jesus and show that he, was, that he was God, right? So what we see here between all of these here, we first we, we want to look at what's John's purpose. Um, and if we go to John 20, which is further along in the, in the text, 30 through 31, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And John specifically tells us that this is the purpose of why he wrote this book. And what we see here is him accounting the fifth sign, um, the fifth miracle that he, that he portrays throughout the gospel. Who, could, who remembers the previous four? Anybody so daring to list the previous four in the Gospel of John? Or maybe just throw one out. Water and the wine. Yep, that was in uh, chapter 2. The, the, the paralytic. Is that what I heard back there? The healing of the paralyzed man? That was one of them. What else? In chapter 4, there was one. The official son. The healing of the official son. And then, of course, what was the most recent one? The feeding of the 5,000. So this is the fifth sign, and that's what John's purpose is, is. He's trying to go through this methodically and show the deity of Christ and who he is. So it brings us here to verse 15. I want to start there looking at just this one verse. And it says, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So our first point there is we must approach Jesus as a king. We must approach Jesus as a king. But what the people were doing here that had just been fed, they were, they were wanting to, what it says? 
They wanted to make him king, right? Now, why did they want to make him king? Because he had just provided for him, right? He's, he's, he's feeding them. He's taking care of them. He's, he's healing the sick. I mean, it's just across the board. If you, if you walk in near, if you're in the area of, he is, he is gracing people with, with who he is, right? So ultimately, that's what they're, that's what they're seeking, and, and Jesus notices that this is what's taking place. And, of course, we know that his time obviously is, is not come, and he understands that God's timing. So what does he do? He withdraws to the mountain to pray. And the picture there that they say, and they wanted to make him king. Church, what we've got to remember is he is king without us. He doesn't need us to make him king. And in the, in the moments of our life when we are in an attempt to make him king, I would dare to say that there's probably some selfish intent. And that's what was happening here with these people. Here, you know, he's not this puppet king for us to manipulate and for us to do what we want, right? You know, we line up under his sovereignty, not he doesn't, he doesn't line up under our needs. And that's where he's trying to show those people here is this, is this is not what I came for. So he withdraws from him. He sends his disciples out. And when you look at the people at that time, they were having their needs meet. And what they are doing, they're seeking his hands, right? They're seeking what he's doing. And when we look at how that plays out for us in our life, you know, I look at, even in my own life, how many times I've had the, that, that selfishness seek in where I'm looking for him to meet me either in a level of comfort, a level of convenience, uh, something, even, even in situations with my, with my health. You know, it's not that God doesn't desire to meet you in those situations, but is that why you seek his face? Or is that why are you seeking his hands? And He's, he's trying to show him back and forth here that he needs to be our savior. So we've got to approach him as a king. And when we do so, things like our money, our possessions, you know, all these things that we feel like we're entitled to should change how we view them. Our perspective of those things should change. I think about um, a, a song. I can, actually, it wasn't a song. I can't remember where it was, but a guy was making a comparison in your prayer life. And he says, if, if every one of your prayers were answered, would you or other people be more affected? Would you or more or other people be affected? And the picture there is that church is not about us, right? It's about a Savior. It's about a sovereign God. And the idea where we come into is once we, once we are called by his name and we believe who he is, just as Scripture tells us, then what we do, we go out and we advance the gospel. And I, I mean, that's our goal. Now, these other things are added unto us, but the idea is we have to be seeking the face of God and not his hand. You know, so many times in these people here, they wanted, you know, they wanted the, the a king, right? But did they really want to deal with what comes with a kingdom? You know, they wanted a liberator, but did they really want to have everything that comes along with having liberty? And did they want to have the blessings of God, but also obey the things that he was asking? And obviously, it's obviously there that that's not the case. And the same call to us today. Yes, when you line up underneath God as your king, what does that make you? That makes you accountable to his kingship, right? That puts you in a place where your expectations are not what matters. What happens is, is the expectations that he has for you in your life is what matters, that accountability comes in, and we're responsible and have to respond to that. And the second part I see here is that we need to see Jesus as a sovereign creator. We need to see Jesus 
as a sovereign creator. And I want to look at verses 16 through 20 here. And it says, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. And the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. And when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But when he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. So I think it's interesting. Let's look at a few things here. First of all, uh, we looked at that map earlier, and um, Chuck, just put it up there in in case somebody wants to, at least feel like they need something to look at other than me. And um, the, when we look here, there's a couple things that I find very interesting. First of all, there was only one boat. He sent his disciples out. As we, there was one boat he was sent out. I wonder if they ever considered, how is Jesus going to get to Capernaum? They were taking boat, which was obviously going to be much quicker. That's a very mountainous region there on the north side. Um, but I wonder if they really ever had any discussion, you know, as they're paddling off, you know, they wonder, man, I wonder how, I wonder how Jesus is going to catch back up to us. Because he told them he was coming, you know, but they didn't. Um, they only had to travel three or four miles, right? That was what it was from point A to point B. But if we look there in the scripture, what does it say? When they had rowed about three or four miles. So the picture is, is obviously they got caught up in a storm. Like I said, they had a strong wind. Well, what's interesting about the Sea of Galilee is this. It's about 700 feet below sea level, the Sea of Galilee is. And the northern, the northern face, the northwest side and northeast side, has some very strong winds that blow down into the Sea of Galilee. And what ultimately happens is it displaces that warm, moist air sitting over the lake, and it causes turbulence. I mean, it's, the sea is known for that because of just how it's geographically set up. So the idea is, is if they were three to four miles already paddling, rowing out there, and then... We see right there, it says, and then, and then Jesus was walking on the sea, coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But prior to that, we see in uh, one of the other Gospels, it says he left, they left in the evening. So in the evening, and they made it all the way to the fourth watch, which is around 3 o'clock to 6 o'clock in the morning, somewhere in there, which puts it, these guys were rowing for about 8 or 9 hours out there fighting this storm. Um, how far they got blown off and what direction they got blown off, we don't really know, but the idea is they were in, they were in bad shape at that time. And we're heading into this stiff wind, and what's even more interesting, the majority of these guys, you've got 12 grown men in a boat, just exasperated, tired. A majority of them fishermen, right? They've, they've experienced the water all of their life. They know what's going on, and here they find themselves in a dire situation where they've got no way to go. They've got nowhere to turn. They don't know what to do. They're blown off course. And what happens? They even get more afraid. They even get, it says that they, were, they feared. In Matthew, he said they were feared. In Mark, he says they were terrified. And the word feared is where we get our, in the Greek is phaebo, is where we get our word for phobia, right? And then they were terrified. That comes from the Greek word terasso, which means just, a, an inward, um, just an inward commotion that stirs up your spirit, something that gets you so fearful that either you want to just clam up or you want to jump out. It's not that they were just like, oh, they just saw a ghost, right? They think this is a ghost. It was actually the point where they were stricken, they were stricken with fear. And what does Jesus say? He says, it is I, do not be afraid. It is I, do not be afraid. So when he says it is I, is he saying just simply if I just walked up to you and say, oh, hey, it's Matt. No, he's saying something much deeper there to us. When he's saying, it is I, he's speaking specifically 
to his sovereignty and who he was, and that he was Jesus, the incarnate God. When we look back in Exodus 3, chapter 14, you may recount the story. Moses um, is, is in the wilderness, and God begins to speak to him through the burning bush, right? And he's got some confusion as to what's actually going on there, and he's, he's identifying who he is, and he's, asking, he's calling him out to lead the people, and God responds in a similar way. He says, well, what, what do I tell the, who do I tell the people said this or where they came from? He says, what? I am who I am. And it's the same picture we see here when Jesus says, it is I. It's saying more just and simply because they were fearful. They were afraid they had no idea who this was ultimately. Like I said, they thought it was a ghost. I mean, here he is walking on the water. You know, something that they've obviously never seen before. And I just see the picture here about him being a sovereign creator. And ultimately, John's trying to get this picture across to us. And he's trying to show his disciples here that he is sovereign over all creation. Because why? Because he is the creator. You know, and this is a foreign, this is a foreign item for them to see. But he, what he's trying to show them here is, look what's happening here. Look what he's doing. And look at the miracles that God does right here. First one, he defies gravity. Right? He walks on water. You know, that is obviously not anything they've ever experienced before. Anybody, ever, anybody here experienced walking on water? I remember trying, you know, but you sink real quick, right? And then we see here he, he, he calms the storm. Now, what I think is interesting about that, if we go back, in, now, not in John, but in Mark, if you go back two chapters before, in chapter 6, they recount this, but in chapter 4, remember, they found themselves in a very similar situation, right? Jesus is sleeping on the front of the boat in the storm, and everything's in turmoil. They're, they're once again scared, and what does he do? He actually gets up like it's no big deal. He calms the storm. So here again, they, they see him again calming the storm. And we're going to get to this next part in verse 21, but I want to jump a little bit ahead. No pun intended here, but look what it says. This is, and this is another miracle that I think sometimes we miss. He says, they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land in which they were going. Immediately the boat was at the land. So that's a miracle. So we got three miracles that these guys experienced right here. And, when they, and, and you can look it up. Immediately is not some other fancy word for three or four hours. Immediately actually means immediately. He did. They arrived there immediately. We know that they were three to four hours out, right? And who knows how many, well, excuse me, eight to nine hours out, three to four miles away in some direction. And they were immediately on the shore in Gennesaret. The next scripture we read, and the next one is they are moored to the shore, right? So here they are to experience three things, that he is the sovereign creator. You know, actually they call that a quantum leap, what what took place there, right? Anybody ever watch the show? Right? A quantum leap. Has anybody done one of those? I'm just making sure I'm in similar company here. They did this quantum leap in time and immediately were there. And I just find it so interesting how when you look at the different, um, the different, from Matthew, Mark, and John. But in this one right here, they just quite, John just kind of simply states, but he said to them in his eyes, I'd be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat. You know, I mean, he just kind of, it's, it's kind of just, they were glad. They took him into the boat. But we're going to look a little bit further on. Matthew recounts it a slightly different way. But the last part here that I want us to see is that we must embrace Jesus as Lord. So the first thing is we're identifying him as the king. 
And that's, what, and that's the picture he's showing those people there, that I'm the king. You, you know, you're, not gonna, you're not making me the king. And then they, he's proven himself sovereign over all creation. And what I'm thinking about once, before I move on, I, I, I want to mention this. When we talk about the sovereignty of creation, I think that sometimes it's easy for us to say that, and we see these miracles here, and then we walk out our own lives, and we, you know, I think we miss, we miss those moments where God is truly sovereign as creator in our own, in our individual lives. You know, when we consider what creation is, when we consider the vastness and how large that is and what God actually created, we cannot actually fathom what it is. I mean, we can read about it, we can hear some things about it. But then when we compare ourselves, let's just go just with us as a person, and we, and we put ourselves next to the magnanimity of, of creation, Right? There's, a, there's a huge contrast. Right? So some people would say that that means that, that you over here sitting in this position is, is minute and insignificant and doesn't count for much when you look at the picture as a whole. But whenever, God, whenever Christ lines up as the sovereign creator in your life, what you realize is that he was sovereign even in the creation of who you are and what you do and what he has going on in your life, and what's important in your life, and the problems that you're having, and the struggles that you have. So if you look at it in that direction, it's even more amazing that even something so small, something so small in size in comparison, still has all of his focus and all of his attention at every moment, at all times. And church, that's the God that we serve. That is a God that is sovereign over all creation and when we come to that place, we get to this place where we're able to embrace Jesus as our Lord. We're able to embrace him as our Lord. John 1.3 says, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made, was not anything made that was made. And John just recounting again the power there. In verse 21, he closes out this section here, and he says, And immediately the boat was at the land, and they were glad but what I want to look at here is if you go back to Mark 4, 41, this is the first time they were there. And he says, this is when they were stricken with fear. And he says, they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So his disciples are here in the boat and they're saying, who is this guy? I mean, he, he has just completed this, uh, he's just calmed this storm. And then we fast forward. A little further on here, and look at the difference here in Matthew 14, 33. And this is where Jesus is walking the water. This is Matthew's account, and he says, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, did they just figure that out because they've seen it happen twice? No, they figured that out because over this account of time, the Holy Spirit has worked in their life, and they have, they've walked alongside Jesus and he's just found, and finally they're in a place where they say, truly, you are the Son of God. When we embrace him as Lord, that's essentially what we do, guys. Whenever, whenever we say Jesus is Lord of our life, that's more than just a cliche saying. That's more than just something we say because everybody else says it. What we're ultimately saying is that, that Jesus is in control of our life. He's in control of what we have going on. And things in our lives should change, Right? Whenever we posture ourselves in a place that Jesus is Lord, it changes our perspective on life. You know, I got a list of things here that it should change how you speak. 
It should change how you work. It should change how you love. It should change how you parent. It should change how you friend. It should change how you trust. And it should change how you fear. Because remember, his disciples before feared. They thought he was a ghost. But as they, as they matured in Christ, as they moved along, they began to see that truly you are the Son of God. That their fear changed from one of a fear of true being terrified and being scared to, to a fear of awe and reverence for a sovereign and a holy God. So when Jesus comes into your life, everything changes. Everything changes, and it's a, it's a methodical process, and sometimes you notice it in big chunks. Sometimes it's a very slow amount. But as his sanctifying work takes place in our lives, church, we're different. We're different. He's working in our lives. And you know where he goes from here, this next section of Scripture that he'll get into next week, is where he's, he speaks on that he is the bread of life. That's going to be the next section that he goes into. And it's a long section, and it's a powerful section. But where he's transitioning from is, I was providing for you. I was providing you bread. You know, he even talks about the manna that came from heaven in the Old Testament, being a picture of Christ. And, but now he's bringing them to a place saying that he wants you to understand that I am the bread of life. And I don't want to get in too far into that, but that's what he's doing. He's using this miracle here in this time, and he's transitioning in his, in his ministry and getting people to a place of realizing this is where the rubber meets the road. This is more than just me giving you what you want. And what you're going to see as we go through that, there, there's many people that peel off. And the crowds become smaller in many situations because they begin to realize that there's more required of them now than just to show up for the meal. That there's more required of them than to just be in the right place at the right time. That now he's going to be asking them to make a decision. Yes, you've, you've come to me from my hands, but now are you ready to seek my face? Are you ready to meet me in the place where I am? Are you ready for me to get into the tough places of your life that you haven't wanted to dealt with? Are you ready for me to move in areas of your life that I can? And it changes his ministry, and it changes the thing that's going on, because ultimately what's happening there is, is he's trying to get them to a place where there's that he is going to be the center of their life. You know, some of you may find yourself here, and you're saying, man, this is just some craziness. You know, maybe you, don't, maybe you don't know Christ in this way. Maybe you've, something's been tugging on your heart and you're just like, I just don't get all this. And it just doesn't make any sense. Look, I want to encourage you to be, to be diligent. You know, the, the Holy Spirit is working in your life. He's, he's showing you things and he's drawing you unto repentance. And those times when you don't think and something doesn't make sense, you press in harder and you push in harder and you realize that we serve a holy, compassionate God whose desire is, his desire is that you would come into relationship with him. So if you're here tonight and that's you, don't, don't be discouraged. Don't think, well, I don't get it. I'm out. I'm not coming back. It's over with. No, stick in there. Allow the Holy Spirit just to speak to your heart and begin to just work in your life and show you that he is, he is faithful. He is faithful to move in your life in a mighty way. I want to read this last part of the scripture here again because I just think it's, it's just powerful for us to understand. And he says, starting in verse 20, he says, But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat. Matthew says they worshipped him. And of course, we see that the boat was immediately there. Guys, it's so important that we understand this idea of when he says it is I. That that's not speaking just in general. That that is a sovereign, a holy God that is there to meet us in our place of need. 
And God, we do thank you, Father, for this night. And we thank you for the opportunity, God, to, God, to study your scripture. God, to just see, God, your hand at work, Father, but also, God, to be able to seek your face. And I pray that we just leave here differently, God, in the way that we came in. God, that your word is heavy on our heart. God, that it's causing us to reflect. God, to be able to look at our day, Father, look at our situations. God, and line them up, Father, underneath your sovereignty. God, I thank you, Father, for this church. God, I thank you for the hearts of these people. And I pray, Father, that you're with them, that you're guarding them and protecting them. God, in Jesus' mighty name, amen.